0: if you listen to episode 260 of the garden basics with farmer fred podcast you might be a little curious now about raising chickens in your backyard well the chicken expert we were talking to sheree sent glover is also an apprentice master beekeeper have you thought about keeping bees in your backyard well she has some tips for us in this newsletter podcast But first, we're going to be talking with Dr. Norman Gary. We revisit a conversation we had with Dr. Norman Gary back in 2020 on how you can become a successful backyard honeybee hobbyist. This guy is so crazy about bees, he's famous in these parts for entertaining crowds at the California State Fair by playing the clarinet while covered head to toe in bees. Yes, living, buzzing, flying bees. They must like him a lot. And if you want to raise bees for a hobby, well, you'll like him a lot, too. Check out our conversation, and then we'll hear from Cherie Sintas-Glover on more tips on how you can become a beekeeper. So, do you like animals? Do you enjoy caring for plants? Uh, do you have a garden? Well, if you're listening to the show, you probably do. And you're probably curious about nature. And if uh, this sounds like you, you just might love beekeeping in your backyard. But how do you get started? What are some of the problems? We are talking with the area's best expert I can think of when it comes to bees. He's an entomologist. He uh, graduated from Cornell University and he joined the UC Davis Entomologist faculty way back when, in 1962. He retired in 1994. After a 32-year academic career, he's authored more than 100 publications, including scientific papers, book chapters, and popular articles in the beekeeping trade journals. And you may have even seen him at the state fair playing a clarinet while covered in bees. That would be Dr. Norman Gary, who's now retired, but he keeps producing books, including his latest, the second edition of the Honey Bee hobbyist which came out recently so you just might uh, want to give a listen and maybe share it with your friends too as far as the podcast goes who are raising bees and they're going to learn a lot today about raising bees in the backyard dr gary it's a pleasure talking with you i think we talked many years ago when the first edition of the Honey Bee hobbyist came out and and now you have a second edition so what's different in the second edition
1: well, in the second edition, I've added a great deal of information. Uh, things like uh, uh, I have a chapter on beekeeping clubs, so that uh, anyone interested in bees in various areas and counties can uh, get the idea of how to con- make contact there. Added a chapter on uh, formal beekeeping education, ways to uh, get a get a master beekeeping degree. Uh, And the real spotlight is on urban beekeeping. That's the hot spot here. Uh, Then for fun, I added a chapter on entertaining with bees. And I think you'd be (laughs) greatly surprised by what I say there. Finishing off with more fun with bees. I have a uh, there's so many fun things you can do. And so I go into great detail there, too. Do I have this
0: right that you are in the Guinness Book of World Records for holding the most bees in your mouth for the longest period of time? I'm afraid so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not the longest time, but four or ten seconds. Uh, That's It was just a little fun thing I did. I dreamed up the stunt, wrote the the rules, and basically I I trained foraging bees to come from their hive over to where I was seated, And uh, they were collecting artificial nectar, just that sugar syrup with a flavor added, uh, from a sponge on a little plate right where I was seated. After I had about a thousand bees or so, uh, routinely going back and forth, collecting and then delivering back to the hive, uh, I took I hid that uh, source of food and substituted a little sponge with the same food that I could put inside my mouth. So, every time I exhaled, the fragrance of that uh, nectar would uh, go out into the air and, and the bees would suddenly head from my mouth. So... When the time came for the stunt, I just opened my mouth, and within about 10 seconds, my mouth was full of bees. I closed my lips, tried to smile, but I couldn't. I was too <laughs> too stressed. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get stung? Nope. I didn't get—we that. That's we, we can talk about stings. I love to. Uh, anyway, I didn't get stung, and uh, I just simply opened my mouth after 10 seconds and sort of blew the bees into the little cage for counting. And uh, can you guess how many I had? I bet you already know. Somewhere around 100, wasn't it? 109. 109. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't recommend this as a recreational activity for anyone else, okay?
0: (laughs) All right. It's not in your chapter on entertaining with bees.
1: No. I. Well, (laughs) if it's there, it's certainly not there to encourage beekeepers to do it. In fact, I I discourage these uh, public displays of uh, weird things with bees like clustering on your body and such. I've done a lot of that as an entertainer, but... For the average beekeeper, I, I discourage this because I think people get the, the wrong ideas.
0: <laughs> All right. So basically, uh, the subtitle is Kids Don't Try This at Home. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, right in your first chapter, you talk about the fear of stings. And of course, when you talk about uh, trying to encourage people to have a backyard uh, hive of bees, uh, somebody in the family is going to say something about bee stings.
1: This sting this uh Thing is, the most uh, misunderstood element. Let me say this about bees: Yes, they do sting, but in defense of their hive, their colony, their social organization, there, and only near their hive, it makes no sense for a bee to sting away from the hive because the bee that stings always dies. We we see uh, bees foraging all over the place, all around us every day. They're on flowers. They never bother you. Only way you could possibly get stung is if you, say, uh, step on a flower that uh, and you're barefoot, something weird like that.
0: Exactly. I, I remember when I had a swimming pool and I'd be floating in the pool and a bee would land on me and I would just watch him or her to see what they wanted. And basically, they just wanted the
1: water off my body. They, they wanted the salt water. Hmm. They, they have a requirement for salt. And yes, sometimes they do visit tools and, and sort of scare people, but they're harmless if you don't bother them.
0: Yeah, they're our friends, obviously. I mean, we've talked on The Garden Show for years about uh, the benefits of bees, that basically every third bite of food you take is uh, comes for courtesy of a bee. Consider the bees that are necessary for uh, pollinating fruit trees and, and so much more that uh, they are a very necessary part. And it certainly makes sense for homeowners to, to want that action in their backyard to not only help uh, pollinate their plants, but maybe uh, uh, harvest a, a gallon or two of honey if that's possible. And sure. one thing you point out in your book, in the second edition, is the fact that sometimes homeowners get a little too over enthused when it comes to starting a hobby like beekeeping, and they basically have too many hives that their yard cannot support or the neighbor's yards can't support.
1: Absolutely. This is the greatest threat to uh, the welfare of bees in the urban environment. There's only so much nectar and pollen out there in the uh, in the immediate area. So uh, if you have too many bees, they're on the verge of starvation, and uh, they are not producing what we call surplus honey, honey above their needs. My main uh, target here is to persuade beekeepers to uh, have a maximum of two hives in the urban environment. Otherwise, uh, we're going to have serious problems. Too many bees and uh, resulting starvation of bees.
0: How much nectar do bees consume? How much do they need?
1: Let's, let's first realize that honey is the primary food of bees. They also eat nutrients from pollen. But in a, in a year's time, hive of bees will consume uh, more than 100 pounds of honey. They have to have that stored before the surplus honey above, above and beyond that can be harvested by beekeepers for human consumption.
0: One thing you point out in your book, I found interesting, is that the harvestable honey, the quantity for home beekeepers, has actually been going down over the years. And is it because of this overpopulation?
1: Yeah, if you have too many cows in the pasture, they start starving, and in, in, in the bee situation, if they overgraze their nectar, pollen resources, then they're they're going to be producing and storing less honey. So it's a losing game if we have too many bees in the urban environment.
0: We're talking with Dr. Norman Gary, author of The Honey Bee Hobbyist, The Care and Keeping of Bees, the second edition. He's a former entomologist at UC Davis. It's an excellent book. If you're going to be starting uh, the hobby of keeping honey bees or you are one, you need this book. So let's talk about uh, some of the common mistakes that home beekeepers generally make and When people get enthused about having bees, one of the most disconcerting things that happens to them that sometimes around October or so, the bees leave.
1: Where did these bees go? Healthy colonies don't leave. They just cluster during the cold winter and survive that way. They create their own heat inside that uh, winter cluster. But uh, now that we have some serious uh, uh, parasites and various diseases of bees sometimes the colonies simply abscond i mean the the bees just all leave the colony and go elsewhere it's uh, unfortunate that it does happen now and then
0: and one thing that sometimes scares people is sometimes in the spring there will be a swarm of bees that will take up residence in a backyard tree
1: <laughs> yes that's fairly common in april may run in this area Uh, That is the way honeybee colonies reproduce. Half the population will leave the colony with the old queen, cluster nearby until the scout bees find a good uh, new uh, cavity for a home. And then when they decide uh, together what's the best one, they they all take off and uh, go into that hollow tree or sometimes into a wall of a building, which is unfortunate. And let me emphasize this, that bees swarming like this are totally, totally defenseless. They have no information, whatever to sting you. The only way you can get stung again is to physically molest them or something. Just watch and enjoy them. Exactly.
0: What are some of the more common mistakes that home beekeepers make?
1: Well, the first uh, thing that a home beekeeper should do is to join a local bee club. Look up the name of your city or your county and then uh, search for Beekeepers Club. Go out there and join the other beekeepers. You can learn a whole bunch from them. You really, it takes a lot of uh, reading and, and practical experience to learn how to safely uh, keep bees. You have to open the hive uh, periodically to uh, check out the condition. And For example, you, you, if you don't use your smoker correctly, then you're going to get stung. And uh, in extreme cases, this would even be a threat to your neighbor.
0: So what sort of equipment does the home hobbyist need for bees?
1: Well, that bee smoker is number one and knowing how to use it. And I devote uh, a lot of space in my book to uh, that that subject. In addition, uh, protective gear, like a bee veil, it's a screened veil that's over your head. And if you want to go farther, you can buy an entire bee suit. Those protections are good, too, but the primary protection is still to learn how to smoke those bees correctly and and handle them in a way that doesn't get them all excited. How do you differentiate the workers from the queen? (laughs) For me, it's easy. For beekeepers, it's uh, not quite so easy. The queen is larger. Her abdomen is longer uh, because her ovaries are so enlarged with uh, eggs. You know, she lays over a thousand eggs a day about almost her body weight in eggs a day. So that's an egg factory, and it uh, makes the queen longer, bigger, and uh, you can visually distinguish her from the workers, and they're smaller.
0: And, of course, what a lot of people want to know is, okay, I
1: want more honey out of my hives. How do I get more honey? Well, uh, how much honey do you need, anyway? That's the pr- <laughs> You know, we all eat too much sugar. I think every uh, everyone would agree to that. And honey is, they the sugars. My guess is that uh, the average family would uh, benefit from producing less than 50 pounds of honey a year. I mean, how much do you want? Uh, that'll give you enough for your friends. Uh, you're not into this to be a commercial beekeeper to make a profit. You're in it for fun. That's why we have bees. It's for fun. And of course, the, the rewards of honey. Unfortunately, beekeepers sort of think, well, if I've got ten hives, I'm a better beekeeper than somebody with two hives. Not true. I would uh, be say it's just the opposite. If you have ten hives and you're in an urban area, then then you're hurting yourself and everybody else by uh, having too many bees in that uh, area with too, too, too few nectar sources.
0: And if you're wondering about what Dr. Gary is saying about the nutritional value of honey, he is uh, dead on accurate. Uh, honey has zero grams fiber and 17 grams of sugar. And uh, most of the authorities say that we should try to limit our consumption of sugar to no more than 20 to 40 grams of sugar per day. So there's uh, almost a daily dose right there in one tablespoon of honey.
1: Right. always honey should be a little reward now and then, not a staple. You mentioned that there are organizations
0: that uh, do encourage uh, beekeepers and help train beekeepers. And that's kind of an exciting uh, new venture for the University of California Davis is they're expanding the Master Gardener Program and the Master Food Preserver Program to include a master beekeeping course.
1: Yes, that was just started fairly recently. They got a very uh, substantial grant to support that. And uh, this this really could be your first stop as a potential beekeeper. Contact UC Davis and inquire about the California Master Beekeeping Program. That's a good start.
0: There you go. And again, uh, I think the best place to start is with the book Honey Bee Hobbyist, second edition, The Care and Keeping of Bees by Dr. Norman Gary. And if you
1: try to find this book online, look it up by titled Honey Bee Hobbyist. Those three words. Sometimes they, uh, it's not listed uh, correctly by various sellers, And but if you go for those three words, you'll find it. Dr. Norman
0: Gary, thanks for a few minutes of your time.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: We know Charissa Glover as an urban chicken consultant, a poultry inspector, but she is also in training to be a master beekeeper. She has an organization of beekeeping friends in, in Central California as well. And we talked about uh, Easter time, not a bad time for picking out chicks. When is a good time for picking out bees if you want to take up a new hobby of maybe uh, raising bees for honey?
2: Coincidentally, it's funny. This is not only the time for baby chicks, but also for bees. And a lot of people that are getting into beekeeping, so first of all, know that this is between usually in our area, April to May. That's when nukes and packages of bees will be available for purchase. And they're usually available through various bee suppliers. And it could be a commercial beekeeper. It could, it could be a, a local beekeeper. could even be, you know, large Beekeeping supply warehouses that might sell bees, but the trick of it is you actually have to plan ahead, and and the reason is that many people begin reserving their bees all the way back in December. So if you've waited until March, there's a good chance that a lot of places will be sold out. And beekeeping is local, so that means just like gardening is is local. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what it what that means, is you. You know, you want to find bees from your area and it's, if possible, it's much better than buying uh, bees from across the country that might be used to a different climate or environment. So now, now is the time. If, if not, it's possibly even too late. So plan ahead. And I'd say if you're interested in getting into beekeeping, um, take beekeeping classes. There's usually beekeeping classes held in our various areas between January and February and that will at least help you kind of walk through what equipment you need, and it'll also allow you a chance to order bees. I know with our local beekeeping guild, we usually start our orders in December, January, and usually by February, we have our beekeeping class, and then we we basically wrap up our orders. Now the bees, at that point, in, earlier in the spring, you are reserving your bees, but the bees actually won't be ready until April or May. Mm. And that's because of a couple things. One is you're waiting for the colonies to build up. In our area, the colonies tend to build up pretty quickly after the, the almond blossom season, right? So after that pollination period. And then the other thing is you're waiting for the temperatures to increase. So right now we're still kind of cold. It's been super rainy where we've been this, you know, compared to other years. So that means the bees are getting a slower start. It's gonna take longer for bee suppliers to build up those nuke nukes, which is a nucleus hive, right? Kind of like a miniature bee, beehive or bee colony. And they're waiting for, for the right temperatures for the queens to actually go on their mating flights. So while a lot of the bee suppliers have been breeding queens, you know, ready to go into the nukes, the chances are that the the queens have not yet mated. And if you're getting a really great nuke of bees, you know, one of the things that you're looking for is it really is truly an established kind of miniature colony you have a brood of all different stages within the, within the frames of the of the colony and of the beehive and you have a queen that's demonstrated that she's actively laying her eggs you know hope that helps you know as far as planning as, as far as beekeeping really your first year is usually about okay what do i need to learn and understand and learn about bee behavior and biology and what do I need to get just as far as equipment? And then if you do that your first year, your second year, you get your first bees. Then you can put all that information and education into practice and, and then go from there.
0: We know urban chicken consultant Cherie Census glover has a great website, chickensforeggs.com. What about for bee information? Where should people go online for that?
2: Oh, they should go. So we do, um, I would go to bigvalleybeekeepersguild.org. That is our home beekeeping guild, Um, and we meet monthly, actually, for educational meetings, Um, and we have a great speaker lineup for this year. So we have people from all over the country, either from Michigan State University, we even have someone from Washington State University, as well as, you know, UC Davis planned for this year's lineup. So great speakers, great topics, and it's a great place to just converse with your fellow hobbyist beekeepers.
0: That website again was
2: BigValleyBeekeepersGuild.org
0: Charisse and Disglover, we learned a lot today. Thanks so much.
2: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Fred.